Well, good morning, New Life Church. Everybody good? All right. Who's had uh, graduation so far? Who's been in a part of graduations? You personally or your family? Quite a few of you. Yeah, it's that time of the year, and uh, I know a lot of things are happening, and life changes in the midst of, uh, of a lot of families, and uh, which, which is good. So, well, listen, it's so good to see you guys. Welcome officially to New Life Church this morning. In case you're new here, I'm Jeremy Smith, lead pastor here at New Life Church, and it's a privilege to have you folks with us this morning. So glad you came out. It's a little gloomy outside, but uh, nonetheless, Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, let me invite you to open the Bible, your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, smartphone, iPad, good old leather-bound version, whatever you got. Uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28 today is where we're going to be. We are in the middle of a series, right in the middle of a series with today's message. Um, and the series is called, We Are the Church. We Are the Church. And what we're doing, we are looking at the six core values of our church and how they define who we are as a church as well as we're looking at those values to see how they also define who we are as individual followers of Christ. And when you look at values, really everybody has values. Every single one of us have values. We might not necessarily have them listed out or know them like in a list or anything, but really we all have values. They're, they're defined by really what's important to us, values. They're defined by what's important to us, and they speak to who we really are. And, and so we're going to be looking at these today, and one in particular. But before we do, let's bow our heads in prayer over today's word. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for today. We are thankful for your presence. God, thank you that you really are omnipresent, but inside of your omnipresence, you make yourself personally known. And I am thankful for that today. That, Lord, we oftentimes are reminded by our frailty, our weakness our weaknesses, our human side, where we come up short and where we make mistakes and where we let people down and let you down. And Lord, this morning I pray that here in your presence and through your word today that you would lift our souls. I pray and ask that by your spirit you would just blow a fresh wind in our souls today. Lord, many of us are dealing with different things and our focuses and our perceptions and our, our vision can get cloudied and muddied and, and just off base sometimes. And so today I pray you would use your word as it is a lamp and a light unto our feet and our path that you would light our path today. And you would show us the way. Where we're looking for answers, you would show us the way. 
And God, that you would instill hope inside of us. Let hope arise within each and every one of us. And I pray that your love that has been deposited into our hearts by the Holy Spirit would grow, would broaden, would expand. And Lord, now that you would also give us an understanding of your word and a revelation of your word and that you, oh God, would help me speak your word today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Praise God. Talking about values. You know, Jesus has values, and one of the biggest things that Jesus values is, is his church. You know, the church is not brick and mortar and hardwood floor and wooden beams. <laughs> church is his people. Can you say, I am the church? Now together say, we are the church. That's right. We are the church. And Jesus values his church. In fact, he, he, he values us. He perceives us in this manner. He told his disciples in Matthew 16 that he said, I am putting together a church. I will build my church, my people. I will assemble my people, put my people together in such a way that not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. That's how much Jesus values his church because he's building a church and has been now for 2,000 years building a church that would be strong, that would be stout, and that would be victorious so that hell itself cannot keep the church down. So that the church, God's intention for the church is for that we, his people, would be strong people. We, his people, would be strong in faith, strong in spirit, strong in stature, and that we would represent his kingdom on this earth as the church. We have a great responsibility and a great privilege as, as his people. Just a quick shout out, I hear 28 years in store for the Brimages, celebrating 28 years this week in marriage. And I don't think the other couples here this morning, the Shimaleskis, Anthony and Rose, are also celebrating 28 years in marriage. Yeah, praise God. That's a long time. It's a long time in today's standards, I tell you. That's, that's awesome. Eric was telling me before service, he said, I'm just trying to follow in the steps of my father. They were married for 57 years, he said, before he passed. That's a great aspiration and goal. Amen. And um, anybody else cel celebrating an anniversary this week? Oh, no way. We got 328ers. Not this week. It was recently, though, right? About, oh, it's tomorrow. Is it really? Oh, March. It was March. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't hear very good. I can't hear. Uh, 28 years. Wow. 328 years. That's awesome. Well, praise God for that. May you carry on and have 28 more. Amen. Awesome. May that be your, may that be your goal. Uh, well, that's certainly a value to stay married for 28 years, right? That's a value. We've talked about two values so far in our church. The first one we talked about a couple of weeks ago called uh, We Value Being Kingdom-Minded. And last week we talked about 
that we value being discipleship driven. And today we're going to look at our third core value, which is being Great Commission focused. Great Commission focused. Here at New Life Church, we value being Great Commission focused. We, you're going to follow along with me on the screen there, buddy. We value leading people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. We are people who, are, who engage our community, our country, and world with the mission of Jesus. We will be mobile in our faith, giving witness to salvation in Christ Jesus. We are a church that goes into the world to win the world for Jesus. We champion the public mark of water baptism in a believer's life, giving public witness of faith in Jesus. It's being Great Commission focused. To be Great Commission focused is to focus our life on Jesus' mission because it is great. Because it is great. Now, why should we focus our life? There's a lot of things we can focus our life on, but why should we focus our life on the Great Commission? What's the big deal? Well, I believe it's simple in answer, and that is we should focus our life on the Great Commission because the Great Commission is great. It's great. It implies that it is something bigger than just you and I alone that requires the camaraderie, the unity, the joint partnership of one another. that we're not called on this journey to follow Christ alone, but we are called to do this thing together. And as so long as the church is unified, and as so long as the church is in harmony and in one accord and one purpose together, then friends, let me tell you, there's nothing that can stop the church of Jesus Christ. The vision he had with his disciples about 2,000 years ago to build a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell can prevail. That's the same vision and value that he has for the church today. And so it's important. This is why we value the Great Commission and why we should focus our life on the Great Commission because it is great. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at three reasons today why the Great Commission is great. Who's ready for that? Let's look at the Word of God today in Matthew chapter 28. What we're looking at here, the final verses of this chapter and some final words of Jesus to his disciples. And how many of you understand, how many of you really truly believe that this word was not just intended for the people who were alive at the time, but they are also intended to be applied to our life today? I mean, I got a couple people that believe that. How many more people believe that today? Come on. How many believe that? Yeah, amen. Praise God. Absolutely. And so these are some final words that Jesus gives to his disciples. A final charge, if you will. A charge that he started with the word go. He, in other words, he says, look, followers of Christ, listen, he says, you're following me. I don't want you to be silent, and I don't want you to be secluded. I want you to go out into this world, and I want you to represent me. I want you to represent me. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. It says, Then the eleven disciples left 
for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. In a, another translation, it says some of them worshipped him, but some of them doubted, being held back, not sure about risking themselves totally. You know, this type of response happens today and in the church, especially in the church here in America, where there are some of us who truly worship Jesus with our life, but then there are some who just doubt Him, not really sure if they want to risk themselves for the cause of Christ. Because we see the stories around the globe where there are believers in other parts of our, of our world who are extremely heavily persecuted, even to the point of imprisonment and even to the point of dying because of their belief in the cause of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that's the norm, that that's going to happen worldwide per se, but it sure happens. It happens, and persecution happens at different levels, in different degrees, in different places. And nonetheless, irregardless of how some of these disciples responded to Jesus that day, at that particular time, some worshipped and some doubted, not sure about, hey, am I really wanting to risk everything for the cause of Christ? Now, that, that's a big question. That's a serious question. Because I think some, some believers in America, especially here in America, we just want to do just enough to make ourselves feel okay with God. But when pressure comes, opposition comes, persecution comes, and different things like that happen, it really causes us to question whether or not we're sincere and whether or not we will really risk everything for the cause of Christ. Amen? Because, let's face it, it's real easy to do that when there's not a lot of bad things happening around us, right? It's a lot easier to do that. When there's not anybody, you know, truly just wearing us out with persecution. But that does not demean or the fact and the, the, the powerful charge that Jesus gave his disciples here. This was right after the resurrection. He had just given his life, and, G, and God raised him from the dead, and he spent about 40 days with his disciples. And in that time frame, these are the final words that he told them is, is this. Let's look at it. Let's look at what he tells them. To be Great Commission focused is to focus our life on the great on Jesus's mission because it's great. We're going to look at three reasons why the great commission is great. Number 1, let's look at verse 18. So Jesus came and he told his disciples, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth." Skip down to the end of that to the latter part of verse 20 and he said, "And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age." So he starts out by telling them, hey, I have been given all authority from heaven is on me and in me, and it's in my power now to invest into you great authority. And I am reminding you, he says, I will be with you always. The Great Commission is great for this reason. Number one, because of our great ministry partner, Jesus. It's great because of our great ministry partner, 
Jesus. Jesus is our great partner helping us to carry out his mission on this earth as his disciples, as his church. That we're not left alone. In fact, that was one of the worries that the disciples at the time had. They were freaked out and they were worried. This Jesus who's been with us now for three and a half years, he's telling us, hey, I'm going to be dying and I'm going to be giving my life and all these things are going to be happening. And they were getting scared because they thought their partner was no longer going to be around. But what he told them in John in, in the Gospel of John is that he said, it's better that I go because if I don't go, my Father cannot send you the Advocate, the Helper, the Holy Spirit in my place. And it said, He will come to you and give you all knowledge and give you answers and He will also help you and He will be in you. And so that it was a fear that the disciples had. Jesus isn't going to be around. Where is Jesus? Where is he going to be at? And he came to them at the end here, in his, after his resurrection, before his ascension, telling them, hey, I'm going to be with you. And so this great commission is great because of our great ministry partner. The Bible is clear in Ecclesiastes. It says, hey, two are better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. That as followers of Christ, as Christians, as believers people we are not in this thing all by ourselves the pressure is not all on us Jesus is with us and we have a great ministry partner let's look at what Paul told the believers the uh, the believers in Colossae in Colossians chapter 1 it's going to be on our screen so you can follow along I've chosen the message version for these few verses in Colossians 1 verse 15 let's look at this he says, we look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. Talking about Jesus. We look at this son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Jesus and finds its purpose in Jesus. Jesus was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and he holds the church together like a head does a body. Verse 18, he was supreme in the beginning, and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is Jesus, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in Jesus without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. What a powerful statement that Paul makes to remind the believers and to remind us the powerful supremacy and the greatness of Jesus Christ. That it says he is the exact image of the invisible God. And that he is supreme over all things. And that he is the head over the church, which is his body, his people. And that in Him, He puts our lives, our broken lives, back together again. 
Paul reminding us, Paul speaking, that Jesus is great. That in him, there is nothing that can happen, nothing that won't happen, and there's been nothing that has ever happened because it's all been created by him, for him, and through him. And it reminds us that, hey, Jesus is great. So you remember that. You remember that when you feel alone. You remember that when you feel afraid. You remember that when you feel overran with burdens. You remember that when life is hard. You remember that when sin is great. You remember that when darkness is upon you. You remember that Jesus is great. And that he promised us that he would never leave and he would never forsake us. He would never abandon us. That he is our great partner. He is the one who will stick by us and stick with us and who will in fact help us carry out the great commission on this earth. So you remember, Jesus is supreme. He is above all things. That there is nothing that could outlast him. There is nothing that could take him out. Never has never will death couldn't keep him down hell could not keep him down nothing could keep him down he has the power and the authority and he came back from the dead and now he sits at the right hand of god so you remember that jesus is great the great commission is great because of our great ministry partner that friends you and i don't have we you and i do not have all of the answers in and of ourselves we don't have all of life experience in and of ourself, but we have the one who is perfect, who is with us and who lives in us and who was always with us, and that is Jesus. So we're going to look at something else here. We're going to look at the Great Commission and looking at the second reason why it's great. The second reason why the Great Commission is great is because of our great mission. Our mission itself is great. Let's look at verse 19. It said, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our mission is great because it reconciles the world to God. Anybody get joy when you see, hear, read about, participate in a lost soul being reconciled to God? It should invigorate us. It should excite us. It should bring our hearts joy because it wasn't too long ago, long ago that our souls once were lost as well. It wasn't too long ago that if it was not for the grace of God, you and I would be separated from God our Father, our Creator, the Judge. And so our mission is great because it involves reconciling the world to God. Humanity representing divinity to humanity. Think about that. Humanity representing divinity to humanity and leading them into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's part of our purpose on this earth. That that's how it was set up. 
That's how it was passed on, and that's how it has continued to be in play today. The humanity representing divinity to humanity and leading them into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's look at how Paul talks about this to the believers in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5, it'll be on our screen. Let's look at how Paul addresses this mission. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, he says, All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. Can you say ambassadors? We are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. That's powerful. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We are Christ ambassadors. Ambassadors. Here's what an ambassador is, the definition of an ambassador. It's an authorized messenger and representative of the highest rank sent by a higher rank to represent that higher rank on a mission. And an ambassador is an authorized messenger and representative of the highest rank sent by a higher rank to represent that higher rank on a mission. Who's our higher rank? Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus did right here in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me, he said, and now I'm giving it to you and I'm telling you to go. I'm commissioning you to now be my ambassador. You're called to represent me and be my messenger on this earth. So as long as you're here, your life should be a good witness and, a sh and it should be a good example of what I look like and who I act like. That is the kind of stock that Jesus puts in his church. Our mission, our, the Great Commission is great because of our mission. It alone is great. We are called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors. It's about you and I. It's about us going and leading other people in this world to Christ. It's not relegated solely for the institution of the church to plan and to pay for and then invite the community to an event all and all alone. That is just one part, one aspect. The bigger picture here of the Great Commission is this right here, is that each member of the church, the church at large, would be equipped and energized, resourced and released to go forth in the name and the power of Jesus Christ to win the world for Jesus Christ. And that is not just meaning those who are called evangelists by calling, by trade, by gifting. That's not relegated just for those who hold the title evangelist and travel the globe and preaching in conferences and churches and so on and so forth. This is who you and I are called to be in our daily life. Because an evangelist cannot go to work 
for the school system. The evangelist will not go to work for a department store. An evangelist will not go to work for a real estate company. The evangelist is not the one who's supposed to go to work in a hospital. The evangelist is not supposed to be the one going to work where you and I go to work every day. You get what I'm saying? You follow me. And so we cannot say, hey, well, that's fine and good. That's just for those people who travel and hold the title evangelist. They're called to evangelize the world, have these crusades and have these massive conferences and go all to these churches. No, the, this is intended every day for you and I as God's people. The bigger picture of the Great Commission is that each member of each church would be equipped and energized, resourced and released to go into our daily lives, our, our world, and win the world for Jesus. Friends, if the church won't do this, who else will do this? If the church doesn't activate themselves in this and there's not a participator in the Great Commission, then who else will do this? It's our charge. Tell yourself, he's speaking to me. Now, all of you didn't say that. Come on, say, he's speaking to me. This is our charge from Jesus. It's people engaging people. It's people reaching people, people teaching people, and people leading people to Christ. As ambassadors, we are to be mission-minded. It changes Having this understanding of who we are as ambassadors, it changes our outlook, changes our perception. We are called to be mission-minded in our life. And what I mean by that is this. Instead of compartmentalizing life into these different departments, we should look at life, all aspects of life, as venues for the Great Commission. Our work life, our home life, our play life, our school life. All aspects of life are the venues that Jesus intends to be funneled through to this, to, for the world to see who Jesus is through every aspect of our life. So as ambassadors, we're called to be mission-minded. The Great Commission calls us to represent Christ in all areas of life and to lead people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Think about it this way. If we live this way, if we order our life this way, if we structure our life this way, if we set our life up to live with the Great Commission and being living life as focused on the Great Commission, it'll cause us to think twice about our attitude and our actions. If we're aiming to live our life to be Great Commission focused, to focus our life on Jesus' mission, then it'll cause us to think twice about how we live our life. Amen? It'll cause us to think twice before we cuss somebody out. It'll cause us to think twice before we give them a piece of our mind. Right? It'll cause us to think twice before we do certain things with our time with our temples. Amen? I mean, think about it. This here alone changes our own individual life, and in the process, it helps to change individuals in this world. 
that when you and I live as an ambassador for Christ, I mean, representing Jesus. Think about it. I know we've, you hear about ambassadors, you, you read about them, you see them on TV and different things of that nature. That if an ambassador of, let's say, this nation was going to another country to represent this nation, they are expected to carry out and be able to communicate and and exonerate, or excuse me, and exemplify the values of our country to that country. They're expected to look a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. Now, I know we know news travels, and that's not always the case. But what I'm getting at is that's the expectation. And that is the same type of expectation that Jesus has for us, his church, as his ambassadors. We're called to represent him to this world. How in the world is this world going to know Jesus, see Jesus, feel Jesus, and be loved by Jesus, except his body, the body of Christ, be his hands and feet and his voice to this world? Now that doesn't mean we're perfect at it or that we don't make our mistakes, but what we do is we aim our life in the trajectory of heaven and as best as we can, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we try to model the kingdom way of life and show others that there is this way and it's really the only way that is in Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and life. Amen? Amen? So our mission is great, or excuse me, the Great Commission is great because of our mission. And thirdly, the third reason why the Great Commission is great is because our message is great. Does anybody believe in the message of the gospel? Amen. Our message is great. Let's look at verse 20. Jesus told his disciples, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Teach them. Share with them this message of everything I have shared with you over the last three and a half years that I was with you, Jesus said, and share that with them. Take your time with them. Invest into them and teach them the message which is great. Our message is great because it's the gospel, it's the good news. And the gospel is not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel is Genesis to Revelation. It's the entire thing because the whole book is good. It, it, it shows the scars of humanity, the wounds of a broken people. It shows the weakness of human flesh. It shows the dependency of God's creation on God the Creator. It's good news because if all these who are helped and given hope by God, then there is hope and help for you and I in the world today. There's life stories in here, real stories in here. I mean, there's even in Jesus' genealogy, there's a prostitute by the name of Rahab that's listed in his genealogy. 
all these guys who are books written after them, they're titled after them, and, and, they're, and they're the authors of a lot of these. They, these people make mistakes, and they were, fell short. But in their sincerity, in their honesty, in their repentance to God, God kept them and put them back on the right track. That is the only way that anybody can get back on the right path with God is through sincere repentance. In other words, a changing of heart and a changing of mind. That's the only way it happens. And that's part of the message. And sadly, our world does not like to hear the R word, repentance. Because that means, hey, I have to shape up. I have to change. I have to change my mind, and I have to change my thoughts, and I have to change the direction and the, and the outcome of my life. But when that happens, when we do that, when we make our mind up to do that, God does His part and gives us grace to help us to actually do what we're saying we're going to do. But He can only help us. He can only help people. He can only help our world as long as we're willing to give them the message and live the message. Because those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have been infected by Christ and affected by His love, we know that love truly changes. Right? Love truly changes us. The Great Commission is great because our message is great. Jake, will you help me wrap up, buddy? In the beginning, we were created in the image and the likeness of God. Sin later entered the world, contaminated God's image in us, and we took on a new nature, what the Bible describes as a sinful nature. And so from that moment on, anyone who was ever born and be, ever been born in this, on this planet is born automatically with a sinful nature because of the original sin and fall of, of, of Adam and Eve. And this nature that we're automatically born with, it rebels against God's ways and against God's will and His way of life. Ever since the fall of man, God has had his plan in motion to bring about salvation to humankind in such a way that would reconcile humanity back to divinity. Because it's from divinity that we were all created. And it's only being connected with divinity that you and I can live with eternity. And so through this Bible, we learn that God has always had a plan to reconcile people back to himself. Looking at it, I know sometimes people can look at this thing and think, man, God didn't know what he was doing. Why didn't he just go straight to Jesus? Why take out all that? Why utilize all the, the harshness of the old, old covenant, the Old Testament? Because that, that shows, that Old Covenant, that Old Testament, it, it, it shows us our need for a Savior. That's why. If he had just bypassed that and jumped straight to Jesus right after the fall of man, it would not show 
the reality of a, of a sinful heart's need for a Savior. That's what the Old Testament shows us. Our need for a Savior. And so from Abraham to Elijah and the other prophets, God has been moving and working to bring people back to himself. And, and he got to the part of his plan about 2,000 years ago where he would give of himself. So the only true remedy to sin is for a payment to be given, for blood to be shed once and for all, that there must be the spotless sacrifice Faultless, clean sacrifice, sinless sacrifice. And you say, the only one that can do that, it's not Abraham, it's not Moses. It's not Joseph, it's not Jacob, it's not Isaac. It's not Elijah or Elisha. It's none of these. It's not David. All of those men, all of those people were foreshadows of Jesus Christ. They were all foreshadows of what Jesus was capable of doing. And he said, you know, son, it's, you're the only one who can do it. You're the only one. But when you go, I need you to understand, you're going to be born naturally, you're going to be conceived supernaturally, born naturally. But then you're going to suffer. And you're going to die. And it's going to be hard on you. And I'm going to have to turn my back on you. But it's just going to be for a few moments. It's going to be for three days. And it's going to kill me. It's going to hurt me. Watching you suffer like that. It's going to hurt me a whole lot to watch you endure such agony. It's going to hurt me so bad to watch you be bruised for iniquity's sake. Oh, it's, this is going to crush me to watch you have to go through such pain. But I'm confident, I know you won't quit. I know as hard as it will be, you'll take it. Because you are me, and you were love, and because of love, you will go through the sacrifice, you will be nailed to a cross, your side will be punctured with a spear, and your body will be laid in a borrowed tomb, and death will gloat, and, and, and hell will rejoice thinking they got the better part of my plan. But that's just part of my plan. I want hell to think and death to think they did win. Because I'm going to rub it in their face on day three. And I'm going to tell them, eat that. Eat that. Hell and death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sin has no power over the world any longer. The devil has no control any longer over the destinies of men. 
because my son Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the one who's been with me from the beginning and the one who is with me right now, he's the one that I call to his name who will rise up out of a grave and who will be brand new again. And that when he goes to death and he goes to the grave, he carries the sin of humanity. Because the only payment that satisfies sin is death. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. And my son, make that payment. I'm putting it all on you to make that payment. And when that payment is paid and it is done, I will call you back out again. And you're going to come up here with me and you're going to sit at my right side. And, and I know, I know you're going to be jonesing to get back to the earth. I know you're going to be just, you're going to be full of anticipation to get back to the earth and redeem your people. But in my due time, when I say it's time, then you will go. And friends, in these last days, you don't need to live in fear. You don't need to live hiding out. You don't need to live in a bunker. You don't need to live in a cave. You don't need to leave, live in a compound. You need to live letting the light and the life and the love of Jesus Christ exonerate and exuberate out of your soul because there is a lost world out there who is scared to death and a lot of them think that money is the thing that's going to save them. A lot of them think the people they're connected to and the high names they know is going, to, is going to redeem them and put them in a safe place. But there is only one name, the name that is above every name, and that name is Jesus. That wherever your faith is and your trust is, it can't be in the world system. It needs to be in the name of Jesus. Because he has never left us, no, not once. He has never forsaken us, no, not once. And he never will, never. So long as you call on his name, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so through the payment of Christ's death, God reconciled his son back to himself, and now Jesus is forever making intercession for you and me, this world, to come to the saving and growing knowledge of Jesus. And then God reconciles people to himself through Jesus Christ. And here's what happens to the soul of a person who is born again. When Jesus enters the soul of a human being, he then automatically, instantly restores the original image of God in that person. And then begins the process of working out salvation in that person's soul, of creating a new person, life-changing, life-transforming person who will bear the image of God on this earth. And so as image bearers of Christ, we now have this great commission.
because our message is good. It's great. That what you and I are in this world is incapable of doing, of saving ourselves. Jesus saves us. He became our sin. He became our sin. And unless this happens, until this happens, then we live separated from God. Think about family. Think about your friends. Think about people you're close to in this world. That if they're not born again, they're separated from God. And until this gospel is planted in their life, until they receive it and say yes to Jesus, their image is an image that is not who they really were created to be. And you and I have that responsibility to share with them the message. Not, not always with our words, yes, that is needed, but also with our actions. Human beings created in the image and likeness of God. You see, when this happens, we'll live reconciled to God, bearing the image of Jesus to this world. And so this message, this good news, this gospel, when it's alive inside of a, of a person, it buries our past, it awakens me to our present, and it secures our future. That's what this gospel message has the power to do, to remove the stains of our past, to make us a aware of our present life and to secure eternal life in heaven with God. You see, this message is great because of what it leads to. Here's where we're headed. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. Let's look at it. John the Revelator, he said, After this I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. This is a picture of where we are headed. Too great to count. Approximately 7 billion people alive on the planet right now. Don't know how many are in heaven but too great to count. There's not a census that our government or any agency could do to count how many people are in heaven. Only God has control of that. Who gets in and who doesn't? It says they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And it says they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Our message is great because of where we're headed. That's a picture of where we're headed. We're headed to be forever joined with God, our Creator. Can you stand to your feet?
to be Great Commission focused is to focus our life on Jesus' mission because it is great. There's three, three questions we need to ask ourselves today. Number one, am I partners with Jesus in this mission? Am I partners with Jesus in this mission? In other words, is He supreme in my life? Is He head of my life? Is He really the shepherd of my soul? If He isn't, or you're unsure, and you want that to be a positive for sure in your life, here in a moment, as we close in song, you come down front to me and I'll pray with you about that. Number two, we should ask ourselves, how can I organize my life to be more focused on His mission? In other words, what excuses and reasons do I give that keeps me from truly revolving my life around what God wants to do? I mean, honestly, we could all look at how we could organize our life better around the Great Commission. But some of us are more prone to reasons and excuses why we don't. And we need to ask ourselves, how can we? Number three, am I living the message? Am I living the message? In other words, am I bearing the image of Jesus to the world around me? To my family, to my coworkers, to my neighborhood, to my community, to my church? Am I bearing the image of Jesus? Am I helping to populate heaven with people or am I just too consumed with myself? You see, when we put the mission of Jesus first... He'll make sure that our life has all its needs met. He just knows what we need, and He knows how to supply it. That is why our life is a life of faith. You and I can have our best plans, as Kaylee pointed out earlier. We can have all our plans in place, but ultimately it is God's purpose that prevails. If our plans really don't revolve around the mission of, of Jesus, then He's going to do all He can to help to reorient our life and help us focus on what's really, really important. It's not all about retirement. It's not all about having money at the end of life and the end of working and having this job or this home or, or this thing or that thing. God's not against any of that stuff. We should plan. We should prepare, we should steward right and steward well and faithfully before God. But all of that stewarding and all of that planning should revolve around how can I help others know Jesus. It just might be God has you stuck in that job because there's somebody on that job, somebody who's going to come through the doors of your organization that only they're going to listen to what you have to say and nobody else. You might hate your job. You might pray for a better job, a different job. 
But it might not be happening yet because maybe God has you there because there's somebody who needs to hear Jesus from you. Anybody ever see the movie Groundhog Day? It repeats. The whole movie repeats Groundhog Day. He relives Groundhog Day every day. And through the movie, the actor Bill Murray uses a lot of it to, for selfish gain. But until he gets it right, it never stops repeating. Some of us are where we're at because we're not getting it right. Despite our best efforts and intentions, we're just not getting it right. And it's moments like these when we're confronted with the Great Commission that we need to ask ourselves, Where am I off base here? Where am I just not getting it? What am I saying and doing that just isn't lining up, God, with what you want? Because when that happens and God gets our heart, then He's going to get you wherever He needs you to be. Let's bow our heads. Father, today help us. Help us, Lord, in, 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 in what you have for our life. Help us to see the need, the, the importance, the significance of these words. Just a few verses here in Matthew 28, but yet such great power, such a great charge, the Great Commission. Those of us who are here who might not really be partners with you, you're not the head of our life, you're not the shepherd of our soul, you're not supreme. You're just not. And we know that and we want you to do that. I pray, Lord, that there would be a release in every heart who needs that to happen today. There would be a willingness to let that happen today. Lord, where we really are, where our lives are not really revolving around the Great Commission, where we are consumed with ourself consumed with our dreams our desires our thing today i pray that there will be a release in our heart to want to say yes to what you want to do and how you want to best lead us guide us and use our life to be your ambassador be a representative of heaven on earth. I pray there be a release in our hearts for that.